I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Welcome back to another week of La Jam and Latte. And what a week it's been, especially if you live in Victoria, because parole denied. I know we were hoping for the best, but expecting the worst. So it's not a huge surprise, but it doesn't change the fact that it's still like the worst news we've had since finding out Marissa was leaving the OC. It's hard. It is not a walk in the park. Actually, it literally is a walk in the park, and that's all it is. But It's hard. I am at the point where I pretend my dog and my baby are both virus deniers because neither of them wear masks. So I at least have some action in my day. I also just got off the phone. I had a half an hour phone call with a cold calling real estate agent of all people because, you know, sometimes you just need to speak to someone during your day who's not a virus denier. So this week at Large Almond Latte Headquarters, aka Jess and I's respective bedrooms, we have made it our absolute mission to stay positive and keep you lolling. Because the whole reason I started this podcast in the first place was to give you a destination to switch off and escape the real world. Hence that if you're not into thinking, this is 100% for you. So if you are looking for some low involvement entertainment during these trying times, I strongly suggest you follow us on Instagram at Large Almond Latte Media. I promise it's a good time. Or if you're looking for some thumb scrolling action, you can head to largearmandlatte.com. Did I mention that our Bachelor recaps have been voted number one in the entire country by us? Or if you just want to slide into our DMs for event, we are always here because yes, that was a hard, hard plug, but genuinely we feel your pain and we want to do anything we can to make it better. So we are here for you all the time. Literally, we are not allowed to go anywhere either for the next month. podcast. Insta anxiety is so 2019. 2020 is the year of the incoming from all apps, full-blown digital drain, and it is exhausting. Then call me detective Olivia Benson, because I've been investigating the whereabouts of the subjects of your TV hits wall posters. Finally, I review the best reality TV show you've never heard of, Summer House. Sometimes I feel like I spend more time looking at my phone than I do my child or my boyfriend or whatever low involvement reality TV show I'm watching. 
And it's so exhausting. Like, what am I even looking at? Sometimes I might even have my phone, my laptop, my iPad, and my TV going at once, and I'll still have no idea what I've been doing for the last 10 minutes. But my friendly Apple screen time reminder likes to tell me every Sunday morning at 9am that I have been doing something on my phone for at least three to four hours a day. And the answer is that I've been doing everything because we use our phones for everything. Digital media penetrates every aspect of our lives now, which just makes it that much harder to take a break from it when more than ever, we just need a break. Rewind back to last summer, which feels like about 300 years ago, and I was approximately 300 years pregnant. Social media was my own personal hell, and I was my own torturer. Watching my friends through the augmented lens of Instagram filters, I felt like they had legit become blue tick certified degraders. They were living the dream. They were living my dream. Well, I'd been left behind. Like they would all bump into each other at Melbourne Cup Carnival in the birdcage or catch up for Aperols at the SD on a Sunday. Meanwhile, I felt like free willy with a bowling ball about to drop out of my pelvis. In reality, they were not even blue tick certified. They were just regular people going out, having some semblance of a social life. And I was just probably mourning the childless life and abs I would never have again. But every time I looked at my phone, I got so anxious. I felt totally inadequate about myself and it bled offline and my overall mood just totally dipped. I had mad Instagram anxiety. There is a body of research on this topic growing faster than a 14-year-old boy in puberty that highlights the negative impact of excessive social media use on our health, from inadequacies about appearance to FOMO, cyberbullying, loneliness, and depression and anxiety. And I was my own torturer in this situation because it's this vicious cycle. You feel really lonely or anxious or stressed, so then you get on the socials to feel connected and relax, but then you see your friends out and about or you aren't getting the interactions you want from your posts, which then only amplifies your initial feelings and creates a downturn in your mood. So to combat that negative mood, you get on the socials to connect and the cycle repeats. It is hell. I was ticking all the boxes of Instagram anxiety. So I needed to get away from social media stat and get back to reality where last year I had plenty of distractions like figuring out what the fuck to do when the mini human dropped out of me, furnishing her room or going to the pool so I could float and not feel 300 kilos. But 2020 is a whole new digital mood and one that is so much harder to escape because where are we going to go? We're not escaping. In fact, we're using our apps and digital devices more than ever. Instagram, WhatsApp, Facebook, they've all reported very tidy increases in usage in 2020. So while the gram definitely isn't full of artistically edited pics of our friends on the Amalfi Coast during the European summer, our feeds are far from bare. Of course, there are still the brides dropping their carefully curated releases of wedding photos from five years ago. But our social medias have morphed. They've become more than an exercise in mild stimulation or the occasional thumb stuff. They've become our vehicles to access a world that we can't currently physically access. And fans, we are driving like maniacs. Most obviously, we're using social media for the OG purpose, surprisingly, to be social. Facebook calls have gone up 1,000% this year and messaging has gone up 50%. Like, 
how is everyone fitting in all this chatting? Do they not have jobs? No, no, that's <laughs> that's correct. They don't have jobs. That's part of the problem. But even though we don't have jobs, we are also using social media to shop. Even if you don't know it, 87% of online shoppers attribute social media as an influence. And sorry to tell you this because once you know it, you can't unsee it. Every fourth post on Instagram is an ad. But I think the most overt shift in social media this year is that it's become a new source which feels like a natural progression. We're using our phones more and more and global news consumption has increased 36% this year. So we're not going to wait until the 6pm news to find out what's going on. We're going to open our phones. Plus, we're millennials, we're super impatient and bite-sized immediate information is exactly what we like to eat. In Australia alone, there was a 52% increase year on year in the people getting their news and current affairs from social media. And think about it. This year, we've seen social platforms become pivotal information sources for the Black Lives Matter movement, the femicide in Turkey, and COVID. 36% of social media users are getting their news from Facebook, which explains why there are a groundbreaking number of graduates in ephthalmology and wokeness from the University of Facebook. But really, with social media as our one-stop shop to the world, it also explains why we cannot put our phones down. Facebook and Instagram have everything we could ever need. So you think that would be enough, but we greedy and get bored quickly. So it obviously doesn't stop there. You have a quick peek at TikTok in the morning when you wake up. Next thing you know, it's 3pm, you've got cheesels crumbs in your bed and you still haven't showered. We've clocked Netflix, audiobook listening is up. We all wish we would have invested in Zoom 12 months ago. And we are doing so much online shopping. We could be isolating with the OzPost delivery man as intimate partners. We are using our phones for literally everything personal and professional. They are a part of us more pivotal to our lives than our gallbladder, which is great news for Mark Zuckerberg and his advertisers, but it is not great news for our mental health. More purposes, more platforms means more risk. The stakes are higher and the threat is exacerbated. It's not just Instagram anxiety we're facing, it's mental exhaustion coming from all directions, all apps, all devices. It's completely entangled. We are facing a multifaceted, full-blown digital drain. Recently, I felt that old familiar feeling of Instagram anxiety creeping up on me, but this time it was more than just Instagram and so much harder to step away from. Remember when I spoke about that toxic Facebook group I was in where there was a group of bullies harassing girls under the facade of moral wokeness? Well, I was in that group and I just could not stop scrolling. It made me feel so anxious. And after I published the podcast, sort of calling it out, I was absolutely terrified that my reviews were going to get trolled, which I know is slightly narcissistic of me to think that I have more than three listeners, but I was compulsively checking them. And then I switched to the socials and I was obsessively opening every two or three minutes. And then I was never satisfied because I wouldn't have a like within that two minute window. So it was never enough. And it all just bled offline to a point where I was just generally stressed and anxious and feeling completely inadequate. My mood was so negative and I just couldn't switch off and relax. I knew that I was in this cycle again, but this time my life was so enveloped in these digital mediums because it really is my access to the rest of the world. And I have nowhere else to go. I am allowed outside 
outside for one hour a day. So there was no way I could just switch my phone off, leave it in a box and go and meditate for a week. So I had to be really cognizant of how the fuck I could improve my mental health through like a quasi detox, but not completely disconnect myself from the rest of the world when I really need to be connected. So I read a lot of articles about this and there are no shortage of them, but they're all full of really unhelpful information. So save yourself the time. They say things like, be mindful, see your friends, don't take your phone to work, really fluffy theoretical ideas or practical tips that you cannot implement in 2020. So fans, I have taken it upon myself to compile some unsolicited tips on how you can save yourself from the digital drain. And these tips are on a scale. So whether you just want to eat a little bit less or go a full-blown lemon juice detox, I have something for everyone. Before you start, the only thing you really need to know is what you want to get out of this. Do you want to reduce your usage a little bit or do you want to completely get off Instagram for the next month? Then just pick and choose from these bad boys accordingly. First up, we have open another app. I know that you've got 347 apps on your phone, so why do you only ever use the same three? When you find your thumb hovering over that rainbow camera again, think about opening something else. Now, of course, you could download Duolingo and learn French, but this is all about the low involvement life, and you're probably on the socials in the first place for something easy, so I'm not going to suggest you do that. I recently downloaded this app called Day One, and it's basically a journal, but you type, so it's way quicker than getting out the old ink and quill. Plus, you can import all of your photos, your Instagram, all of your movements from that day into one app. Like, we've literally just established your whole life is on your phone. So this app just brings everything you want into one place. And every time I go to scroll Instagram for the umpteenth time, I just try and go there. And like, I am not Stephanie Meyer. I'm not writing the next Twilight. I use it to write like a line or two about what my baby did that day so I can show her one day. And I can confirm the two lines I write and the five minutes I use to journal each day are more fulfilling than scrolling the gram for three hours aimlessly. Or depending on your mood, open a news app or a game. I promise I won't judge you if you're still playing Candy Crush much. Shh, mute. If there is one thing that's better about talking to people online than in real life, it's that you can shut them up. Mute your groups, mute your WhatsApp, mute your message notifications when you start to feel that stress rising in your belly. As a generally anxious person, I could never turn my phone off. I think the absolute worst. Like if I turned it off 100%, someone is trying to call me with an emergency situation, it's life or death, and it's death because my phone was turned off. So if I'm able to selectively mute the things that are making me anxious, it definitely puts my fear-mongering mind at ease. Plan your time. If you don't want to be on your phone all the time, then just don't be. And I realize reading that out loud now, it sounds so wanky and theoretical and fluffy. But I think what I'm trying to say is if you're cognizant of how much you actually use your phone and you can use your Apple Screen Time or Digital Wellbeing app on Android to do this, then you can recognize where you could maybe not use it so much. So if you're using it all day for work and that's just totally exhausting you, you could be like, okay, well, I'm only going to use it for an hour and I'm not going to use it before I go to bed because I'm using it for five hours after 6 p.m. or whatever works for you. But like I said, I think the key is to 
recognize that you're using it a lot and where you think you could reduce the usage. Okay, leave your phone in another room because if you have to walk four meters to pick your phone up just to check what time it is, CBF. Another tip is to leave your charger in your bedroom. I learned that one from my friend, remember, who kept her charger in her room so her friend who was over wouldn't be constantly messaging while they were eating dinner because that's rude. But once you leave your phone in your room, go and do something else. And it feels a bit strange at first, like if you're watching Netflix and only single screening and not looking at your phone at the same time, it feels, you feel naked. It's like when you're out and you don't have a drink in your hand. Very strange at first, but you do get used to it. Next up, and this is a good one if you're a laissez biatch like me, log out of all your socials and unsave your passwords. And you may never be able to get back in without the help of Anonymous because who knows what their passwords actually are. This is also a great tip if you've got a small Uber Eats or online shopping habit unsave all of your credit card details. Because if I can't pay for my Uber Eats using PayPal OneTouch, then mm, I'm going to be eating grated cheese for dinner again. Next up, we have use apps for the strength you do not have. And this gives me anxiety in itself. There's this app called Flipped, and basically it will lock your phone for a selected period of time and there's nothing you can do about it. Honestly, I don't even know why I included this one in here because I don't know what kind of person would use this app. Obviously, a complete psychopath. Finally, we have the pinnacle, deactivate and delete. For the hardcore digital detoxes, you've got to deactivate your social media and delete the apps completely. So you're not even tempted to just open them for a scroll because you'd have to download them again, log back in, reactivate them and then scroll. So much hard work. So there you have some very unsolicited, unqualified tips, but I hope at the very least you can recognize that you're not alone if you're feeling this too. And honestly, I'm not on the other side. I can't just do a digital cleanse and live in 1853 for a week, as nice as it may be. And I'm still trying to find a balance, but I honestly do think the key is recognizing when the pillars of your mental health start to shake and knowing that there are a scale of options you can take to make yourself feel better. A few weeks ago, Jess and I shared our absolutely definitive list of worst rom-coms and fans, you got so rowdy. But this is not a podtatorship, it's a podocracy. So we gave you the mic to share your worst movies ever. And honestly, I did have every intention of doing a segment on it. But then to my great surprise, I actually hadn't seen a lot of these movies. And if you've been listening to this podcast for a while, you've heard my reviews. You know I have seen a lot of shit movies. But having not seen a whole lot more bad ones, I didn't really want to. Like, I would rather headbutt nails than watch some of the movies you suggested. Like one starring seagulls only with no dialogue. No thanks, fan Annette. So what I've done here is mm, I feel like I've stayed in the general realm of movies, albeit on a leash as long as the one in Will and Jada Pinkett Smith's Marriage. But I've done it, I think. (laughs) So henceforth, you may refer to me as Detective Olivia Benson because I have been investigating offences considered especially heinous. The worst celebrity crime of all, the disappearance at the height of fame. Fans, I have been sleuthing the streets of the interwebs to find the whereabouts of the subject of your TV hits wall posters. Jonathan Taylor Thomas. 
I think he was my first introduction to sex. I was like 11 months old, watching Home Improvement through the bars in my cot, thirsting over this eight-year-old with a bowl cut and a a 10-pack-a-day smoker's voice. Like, is it acceptable to have a crush on an animated animal? Because I did. JTT voicing Simba was a mood as a three-year-old. But... The pressures of childhood fame, a.k.a. my dream, were too much for Jonathan Taylor Thomas. Also, he hates being called JTT, so I'm going to try and refrain from that. Jonathan Taylor Thomas decided he wanted to get an education that consisted of more than four hours a day locked away with a creepy tutor in a caravan on set. So he left home improvement and went on to study at Ulala, Harvard and Columbia, But please hold your applause because at Harvard, he studied philosophy and at Columbia, he studied general studies. What an anticlimax. So basically, he's like that guy that went to the moon with Buzz and Neil but didn't get out of the rocket. Oh, and um, unsurprisingly, it seems he used neither of those degrees and he's quietly slid back into Hollywood. He's had a few guest spots, most notably on Last Man Standing with his former TV daddy, Tim Allen, but his focus has been on writing and directing and get this tea, it's rumoured he's teamed up with his former TV brother, Zachary Ty Bryant. And the king of child stars, Macaulay Culkin, to work on this project. I mean, remember, Jonathan Taylor Thomas is still rich. So it sort of feels like he's one of those people that doesn't need to have a nine to five job as a philosophy lecturer, because let's be honest, that was the only job he was getting out of either of those degrees. So he just has the cash to throw at whatever he wants to do at the time. And so does Macaulay and his old TV brother. It's sort of like those rich kids whose parents pay for them to have singing careers, even when they sound like a squeaky door that needs some WD-40. I can confirm he is still a total dreamboat and there's some pics at largearmandlatte.com under the show notes if you want a sneaky peek. Next up, we have Freddie Prince Jr. In 1999, Freddie Prince Jr. was named, what is with these triple barrel names? I need to give my daughter a third name so she can become a famous thirst trap. Anyway, Freddie Prince was named People's Sexiest Man Alive in 1999. He was riding so high on the success of peak 90s bangers, I Know What You Did Last Summer, and She's All That. Like that quasi-Cinderella story became the template for so many films to follow, including to all the boys I've loved before. Freddie Prince Jr. walked so Noah Centineo could run. How did you top that level of success? Well, you don't. The only way is down. And just like the millennium bug, Freddie slowly slipped into oblivion the moment the clock struck 2000. But just like Jonathan Taylor Thomas, it was partly intentional. He said he knew his wife of 18 years, yes, they have been married 18 years, Sarah Michelle Gellar, aka Buffy, was the girl for him on their first date when, oh my God, she ate everything, including the crab that the chef killed right in front of them. Unlike all the other gals in Hollywood who survived on a diet of cocaine and toenails. Honestly, I think Sarah Michelle Gellar, another triple barreled name, might be the gal for me too. By the time Sarah Michelle Gellar had borne their crotch fruit, Charlotte and Rocky, Freddie's priorities had completely shifted. Now, pull the tissues out because Freddie's own dad took his life before Freddie was even one, which hung over him throughout his childhood. He said when his daughter was born, that was it for him. That was his focus. And my ovaries are exploding. I know, realistically, I'm celebrating a man for doing the 
bare minimum. He's a parent prioritizing being a father and no woman gets celebrated for prioritizing motherhood. But I cannot help the way my ovaries feel about this. I'm sorry. <laughs> like imagine doing the school pickup and just chatting with Freddie Prince Jr. at the front gate or chaperoning an excursion together. I can't. He hasn't retired completely from acting though. He'll take a gig here and there as long as it doesn't take him away from his family. There's like a lot of Star Wars related roles on his IMDb playing some guy called Canus. Canus? Like it's anus with a K. Whatever. That interests me less than a philosophy degree. And most recently he's signed on for a remake of some 80s show called Punky Brewster. Also can confirm, although he's a bit of a salt and pepper silver fox, he is still a dream vote. Again, check the show notes at largearmandlatte.com for some thirsty pics. Next up, mm, I want candy. Aaron Carter. And like many a missing persons case, they don't all have happy endings. And fans, this story is a sad one. After briefly stepping out of his brother's shadow for 15 minutes, Aaron Carter has not had a good time. Shortly after he turned 18, he had to file for bankruptcy because it turns out his parents had not attended Chris Jenner's school for mummages and they had grossly mismanaged his money. Like, instead of keeping a trust fund for Aaron, they bought 12 houses. Honestly, this feels like something I would do with my child's adolescent earnings so I can continue to enjoy that real housewife life. But bless, he didn't blame them because... They were really responsible for his fame, but he just wanted to get on with his life. Unfortunately, drugs and mental health issues are not a recipe for happily ever after. Last year, he used Twitter to broadcast allegations of lifelong abuse against his family members. Nick and his sister Angel had to get a restraining order against him because he'd even threatened to kill Nick's pregnant wife. He did go to rehab after that, but it's super questionable whether anything stuck. In January this year, he announced he had a new GF, Melanie Martin. Then in March, said girlfriend was arrested on domestic violence. And then in April, the couple announced they were pregnant. So naturally, to support his budding family, Aaron has created an OnlyFans account, charging $50 to $100 for nude or $26 per month if you're interested. But I have assessed some of the reviews and they are not favorable. But genuinely, especially now that there's a bebe involved, I really hope that he has some more supportive people around him. I just feel like if history tells us anything, I am skeptical. Obviously, fans, there are thousands of celebrities that go missing every year and that is just scratching the surface so if you've got a case you'd like this detective to investigate slide on into my dms and by the way my rate is fifteen hundred dollars per hour and a paypal deposit will be fine when i first watched summer house i was not in i was like these people are way too old to be partying every weekend until 6 a.m they're my age and a hangover last five to seven business days how is this possible but I got over it really quickly because it's entertaining as fuck. Summer House follows a group of elder millennials, us, hustling really hard in New York during the week and partying even harder in the Hamptons on the weekend. But unlike other reality TV shows you see in the Hamptons, like if the real housewives go there, they're not flush. The Summer House friends work really hard for their money, even if they do get to finish work at 12pm on a Friday, which what even is that? The revolving door of friends slash cast on Summer House all rent this one big house together in Montauk. 
And it is the classic reality TV show formula we've all come to love from Bravo. Toxic friendships, drunken meltdowns, betrayal, bullying, and incestuous hookups. The best thing about Summer House is that there are four seasons. So if you've just had your parole denied like I have, you have got hours of viewing ahead of you. Watching this just as the sun comes out is prime time because it will inspire you. You'll be so excited that you'll need to poop. I promise you, you'll be jumping on Airbnb to book a house down the coast for you and your friends this summer. I definitely did. It's good viewing, 9 out of 10. Thanks for listening to La Jam and Latte. If you loved the podcast, a five-star rating and review would really help validate us. La Jam and Latte exists because of your opinions, so keep sharing them in the Facebook group La Jam and Latte, on the gram at La Jam and Latte Media, and visit lajamandlatte.com to read, write, engage, subscribe to our newsletter, and generally get your peepers around even more brunch banter. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. <laughs> 